Um, all right. So we are continuing. We're continuing the series. We're slowly working our way through First Timothy this semester. And so last week we looked at order in the church. We're continuing through Paul talking about just different ways, like we're to have order in the church and just how church should function. And so uh, naturally when it comes to combating false teachers or just the importance of that, he's going to actually go to what are qualifications for church leaders. So we're going to look at a passage tonight in 1 Timothy 3 about what are the qualifications for those that aspire to be a pastor and those that aspire to be a deacon. And so I want us to not only look at these, and it's easy for us to look at this and brush by like, well, I don't feel called to be a pastor. I don't feel called to be a deacon. But I want us to look how a lot of these can actually translate to what Christians are supposed to be in general. Yes. So a deacon is someone that serves the needs of the church. And so we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit more about that when we get into studying this. And so let me start with this. Um, let me ask you this. When you think of a Christian, what are characteristics that you think they should live out? Or what are characteristics that come to mind immediately? Christian, I feel like, well, as a Christian or as like a... Just in general, Christian, just uh, being a Christian. Okay. I think of someone that has rebounded from death okay. and is now sent to help everyone else rebound. Okay. Leadership. Leadership. Okay. Loving. loving. Okay. Any others? Do you think characteristics that you believe a Christian oh, should show? Huh? Oh, I said, oh, characteristics, my bad. <laughs> it's okay. It should definitely be different. Different, for, okay. The Ooh, gracious. Gracious. Okay. How about this? What characteristics do you believe a pastor should show? Leadership, definitely. Leadership, okay. Or when you think of a pastor, what are some of the first images or words that come to mind? Relationship building. Relationship building? Caring. Huh? Caring. Caring, okay. Open-minded. Open-minded. Okay, learn before they can lead. Do, is there a difference in your mind between a Christian and a pastor? Okay, a little bit. Why a little bit? Pastor's responsibility is to protect the herd. A Christian's okay. responsibility is to reach out to the herd. Okay. I think. Okay. I think a lot of what you said is great. And in many ways, there is similarities and differences between Christians and pastors. Um, like we saw last week, how let's say there's male and female and both are same in dignity but different in roles. It's many in the same way as Christian and pastor where there is where they have the same Holy Spirit within them. They just have different roles. And so pastors are called to care, like you said, for just let's say the flock, if you will, care for Christians, care for y'all's maturity and growing in y'all's faith. And Christians are to try to grow in their faith and follow the example of Christ. But here's the thing is that all of us in here, we're fallen, sinful human beings. And so we don't always want to follow the example of Christ. We want to follow, let's say, our own example or do our own thing or live the way we want to. But what we want to see tonight is that if we're to lead the way in the faith, lead the way in the gospel, then pastors should be setting the example. 
of what it means to follow Jesus. And then Christians and church members should follow the example of the pastor. And so we'll see why through the qualifications. And we'll see from that. And I promise in the end, it's not because, let's say, the pastor is just the most awesome person ever. I promise you as we look into that. Bless this. Let's look at this passage together. And then we'll pray and dive in. So, again, First Timothy 3, verses 1 through 13. Here's what it says. The saying is trustworthy. If, every, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if anyone does not know how to manage his own household well, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil." Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be of the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So let's pray. So Lord, as we just come before your word and we just try to study what does it mean? What are the qualifications for those that aspire to, to the office of overseer, elder, pastor, or, or deacon, would you just help us see how we are in desperate need of your grace to even live out any of these? And, and how we see a lot of these qualifications and characteristics should be characteristics not only of pastors and deacons, but also should be of just every Christian as well. And so would you just humble us? Uh, would you purify us of any pride and let us see more of our need for Christ in here, see, see ways that we have fallen short in these areas, our, our way of we need to repent and turn to you and have Christ help us through that? And so would you be glorified and honored just through the rest of this worship service as we just uh, preach and teach your word and as we properly respond to your word too? Only by the power of the Holy Spirit can we do this. And so pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is actually helpful. I was actually watching a lecture recently for one of my classes that he, and I thought he broke, the professor broke it down really well into three ways um, that we see what are the qualifications of a pastor, how is a pastor and a deacon or a church leader supposed to lead, and there's at least three ways he breaks this down. And so the first truth is this, is a pastor must exhibit personal integrity. A pastor must exhibit personal integrity. So again, Paul is continuing about this order of service, about how church is supposed to be ordered, about how last we looked at just the functions of man and woman and just order in the church. Now we're going to leaders, those who are going to lead the church in this. And we've already seen how there's two leaders in this church at the end of chapter one, where there's Hymenaeus and Alexander and how they gave into false teachings and that shipwrecked their faith. And so, of course, now we want to look at what are true leaders supposed to be in the church. And so the office of overseer, that what that word overseer means, it's just someone that watches over or cares for God's people, the people of the church. 
And then the office of deacon is someone that meets the needs of the church. And so the office of deacon was at least the first deacons that we believe is back in Acts chapter 6, where there was this discrepancy about how needs were being handled. And so the apostles were like, all right, create for me all, pick several just good men of good faith from y'all to help distribute these needs and take care of this. So we as the apostles can focus on just preaching and praying. And so that's what they did. And that's what we believe the first deacons were made. And so to help serve the needs of the church, while the pastors can help preach and teach and help serve in that sense. And so now we see that this first part, we just see how Paul just goes just different qualification by qualification. So we're going to run through a lot of these pretty quickly of understanding this. And so the first one he says is that if they are to be a pastor, if they would be an overseer, they must be above reproach. So reproach just means undeserving of or not worthy of any sort of rebuke or criticism that they might face. And so they're living in such a way that they can't bring a charge, let's say, against that person. And so another way to put this is this first point is an unaccusable character. So an unaccusable character. And this is going to influence everything else we see from these. And so it should be, they have such a character, they live in such a way that follows Christ that no one could even give a hint of trying to accuse that person of any sort of misconduct or sin in their life. Now, again, this does not mean the pastor is perfect. Please do not hear me on that. That does not mean this pastor is perfect. It means that they're just living in such a way, they're trying to follow the example of Christ in such a way that someone couldn't even hint at bringing that about. And so that should be something that us as Christians should live out, that we're living in such a way that people cannot even bring, let's say, a hint or a charge against us of us just dabbling or living in sin. Again, not saying we're perfect, but we're continually striving to believe in Christ, that we believe in Christ and we're continually striving in our faith in Christ. So next, he says there'd be above reproach. Next, there to be the husband of one wife. So we're talking, not talking about any sort of hint of any sort of immorality or misconduct in that. Another one is there's no hint of sexual immorality with the pastor. And so that means that they are devoted to their wife. That they are devoted to their wife. Literally, this means uh, husband of one wife. It literally just means a one-woman man. So when people see the church, they know that that pastor, they love their wife and they care about their wife and they're devoted to their wife and no other woman or even a hint of that in the midst of that. We even see that just as Christians in Ephesians 5, 3 and 4. Paul says, look, there should not even be a hint. There should not be even any sexual morality even named among you. Or there shouldn't be any sort of filthiness or crude talking or joking among you in the midst of that. Or in 2 Timothy 2.22, that we are to flee from any sort of sexual morality, but run with those that are desiring Christ and want to grow in their relationship with Christ. And so again, the pastor is supposed to be a one-woman man that they know that they love their wife in the midst of that. But that might, obviously, that, that is not any of y'all in this room right now. You might be like, okay, how am I supposed to care about this? Or how would this apply to me in this sense? Well, I would say in this way is that as you continue to grow more and more and more into adulthood... I would say, how are you trying to keep yourself pure now from sexual morality? So, so how are you trying to protect yourself in that way and grow in your maturity in Christ in the midst of that? So let's say, are you avoiding inappropriate videos or photos or, or just how you talk and even your language in the midst of that? Are you striving in holiness and growing in your relationship with Christ? So that way, when you meet someone else later in life, they're also growing in their relationship with Christ at the same time, too, in the midst of that. 
So he's supposed to be the husband of one wife. And then next he talks about how the pastor is supposed to have control over a lot of things. We're going to see how we should have control over a lot of things too. The first one of which is this. They have, to, they have control over their mind. So the husband and wife, next, sober-minded. So sober-minded just means not given to any extremes. So they're not given to any extreme of alcohol. They're not given to any extreme of drugs. They're not given to any extreme of, let's say, self-image or social media or how that might influence the person. Is that they're not given. They're clear-minded in the midst of that. They have control over their mind in the midst of it. Because if they're influenced, let's say, by self-image or by alcohol or drugs, that can influence or impair, let's say, their judgment or their mind in the midst of that. And so... What I would say to this, for us to explain this today, for us to think about this, is what are you allowing yourself to watch? What are you putting inside your mind today? So what are, you, what are you watching? What are you listening to? What are you constantly putting in front of your face that's going to influence your mind? Because believe me, whatever you constantly put in your head, in your mind, is going to affect your emotions, which will ultimately affect your actions and how you live that out. So you have to have control over their mind. The next is you have to have control over their emotions. I don't have it. Yeah, control over their emotions. That's what it means by self-controlled. So self-control just means wisely keeping control over one's desires or passions. So a pastor is not to fly off the handle. A pastor is not to just quickly get angry or to not be driven by emotions. They're to be, they're to be self-controlled. They're not to be violent, but gentle. They're not to be quarrelsome. They're not to be a drunkard in the midst of all of that. And so they need to have control over their emotions, not letting their emotions drive them, not letting their emotions get the best of them in the midst of that, but being self-controlled over their emotions, regardless of whatever may come their way. So that brings a question for us today. Do you allow your emotions to get the better of you? Are you quick to respond to a text or comment or phone call or criticism or anything else? How do you respond to those? Do sometimes you just get so emotional that all of a sudden it just leads you to respond to that in some way, shape, or form? Or do you take a step back and we, and we take control over that? In fact, it says in James that we are to be slow to anger and quick to listen and slow to speak in the midst of that too. Or do you allow other people to get under your skin? Because if we are to be a Christian, we are to make sure that we have control over our emotions. And yes, as a pastor, that we are to have control over our emotions in the midst of that, or whatever may be going on. So next, Paul says that they are to be not only self-controlled, but respectable. So this is how both someone feels inside or how they believe inside and what they're matching on the outside in the midst of that. And so there was a strong belief during this time that whatever you say you believed, whatever you had your intellect, your will was, that was going to be matched by how you lived your life. So that the will, whatever you're saying you believe in, whatever you say that you hold to intellectually, that you're living that out in your everyday sort of life. And so a simple way to describe this is, is that you practice what they preach or you practice what you preach. That I believe pastors to practice what they preach. If we're going to rightfully handle God's word, we need to live that as well. If we're going to say that we believe in Christ, that there's evidence of that in our lives. And so the way for us to think about as Christians today is, do you not only say you have faith in Jesus, but also live out that faith in Jesus? Or are you both the same on Sunday morning that you are on Monday morning? Are you the same person in the midst of that? That we are to be respectable. 
Next, Paul says that the person is supposed to be hospitable, hospitable. And so I like how one commentator put this. It says just open to strangers, that they're open to strangers, which means just as simple as this, welcoming to all. That a pastor should be welcoming to all, but I believe all Christians should be welcoming to all. That a church should be the most welcoming place because we've experienced the greatest love ever known. That at once we were strangers separated from God, but then Christ relentlessly pursued us, saved us, reconciled us back to God, welcomed us into the family of God, and then calls us to go care for other people and, and go pursue other people as well. And so if we're to be welcoming to all, if we're to be hospitable, whatever the case may look like in this, if someone were to walk into this room right now that you've never met before, you have no idea who that you don't know them from school, you don't know them from anywhere else. They're just a complete random stranger that walked into this room right now tonight. Would you go up and start talking to them? Or would you greet them? Or would you go, I don't know that person, so I'm just going to go talk to my friends because I don't know who that person is. Or how about this? If someone you do know from school or from sports or from work or your neighborhood that you know and that you do not like, like you cannot stand that person. If they were to walk into this room right now, would you be welcoming to that person? Because we are to be hospitable. We're to be hospitable to that. We're to love our neighbors as ourselves. And James, it says we're to not show favoritism at all with that. So that means if that person comes in here, that we're to be hospitable to them. And if we really want to get even more personal with this, it says we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. You might say, well, I don't like them. They're not my neighbor. I hate them. They're my enemy. Well, guess what? You know what scripture says? We're to love our enemies as well and pray for them. So regardless, it's unavoidable. We need to love those people. We need to be hospitable and welcome them into church. Though we want to be as welcoming as possible because, again, we've been welcomed into the family of God. Now, this next one, I, I would argue, is one, is one that would separate in many ways a Christian from a pastor and is one of the most important aspects of being a pastor. And that is they're able to teach. They're able to teach, which means this, is that they need to rightly handle God's word. God's word rightly handles God's word. And so again, we, we, I said in Acts 6 is when uh, the apostles were like, hey, select from yourselves men that are strong in the faith to help take care of these needs. So that way you can take care of those needs so that we as the apostles can take care of preach the ministry of preaching and praying. And so one of the most important things for pastors to do is to preach and teach God's word truthfully, faithfully, I would argue expositionally, which means just going through the book like we're doing now, like working through a book of the Bible and seeing how it fits the overall story of Scripture. In fact, in Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, Paul talks about how like, some are given this gift, some are given this gift, but then there's also pastors that are meant to help equip the saints for their ministry. What that means is that us as pastors, our goal is we want to equip y'all to not only grow in your faith, but to be able to live out whatever ministry you're in. So one of your ministries is school right now. One of your ministries is your sports or theater, wherever you're placed at. And we want to equip y'all to be able to grow in your faith and then go into those ministries and live in those ways. And one of the ways that we need to do that, that I'm responsible for doing that, is make sure we're properly preaching and teaching God's word so you understand it, so you know how to read it in your private lives during the week, but also you're living it out, know how to practically apply that to your lives. 
And in fact, a very scary verse is in James 3.1. James says, look, if you're a teacher, then you're going to be under a harsher judgment. Why? Because you're handling God's word and trying to teach God's word, trying to teach God's perfect word to people. And that we're responsible for handling God's word correctly and truthfully and proclaiming those truths to y'all in order to help y'all grow in your faith. So a pastor must make sure they're rightfully handling God's word. Whatever, and that means they're being true to the text. That doesn't mean, let's say, they're super charismatic. Just because they have charisma doesn't mean they're able to properly handle God's word. Just because they have a whole lot of energy doesn't mean they're properly handling God's word. Are they truly teaching this and pointing us to Christ? So able to teach. And then lastly, Paul talks about what the, both the pastor and the deacon is that they're to not be a lover of money or greedy for dishonest gain. And so for a pastor, it cannot be about a paycheck. It must not be about a paycheck. Because what we see is that the ultimate passion is Christ. That Christ is our ultimate passion. Seeing him glorified and honored. And seeing him glorified and honored in the lives of the church members that they are to oversee. That is supposed to be all about Christ. Here's the thing, when a pastor only does it for a paycheck, then there is no heart for Christ or seeing him glorified and honored or desiring the growth of the people. And so we must make sure that everything we do as pastors, but we do as Christians, is ultimately for the glory and honor of Christ and making his name known. Which means everything we do, everything we do is for his glory. So let me ask you this for you to think on. Do you complete your homework for the glory of God and that he desires because he desires our best work in everything we do? Or do you do you obey your parents simply because they told you to? Or because we see that in scripture that we are to honor our parents. And as we honor our parents, we in turn are honoring our heavenly father. Do you post stuff on social media just for the likes and shares and comments and, hey, look at me what I did. Even if it's something about Christ, yes, you can post something about Christ and still have a prideful attitude behind it. Or are you truly posting that because you want to make Christ's name known and glorify him in everything that you do? This is ways that we're to show we're to show this dignity or this this integrity. Next. What a pastor must exhibit is personal dignity, is personal dignity. So now Paul is going to shift and talk about what's important about the home life of a pastor and a deacon, of a church leader in the church. And so first one in verse four, he says he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. So one of the most important things we see. The most important thing that we could see when it comes to pastors is that family must be their first priority. Family must be their first priority. Family should come first and foremost in a pastor's life. Outside, outside of their relationship with Christ, which should obviously be most important. But after that, family should be the first priority. Family, if you will, is their first ministry, if you will. And so that's what it says there, to manage their own household well with all dignity. That word dignity means the quality of being worthy of esteem or respect, especially on account of one's behavior. So, the first, so they lead well because they have personal integrity, as we saw in the first 
like first three verses. They're to lead well because they have personal integrity, because they are gentle, because they're not quarrelsome. They're not violent. They're sober minded. They're self-controlled. They're respectable. They're not a lover of money. But ultimately, their ultimate passion is Christ and seeing him glorified and honored. And so they're to manage their household well. And that's why they're able to lead their household well, because they have personal integrity. Because they're desiring in that. Because again, when a pastor is above reproach, when they have this unaccusable character, if you will, then that means they're leading well. And then if they're leading well, overflowing from that, it means a husband will love their wife as Christ loves the church, as we looked at last week. And then if a husband is loving the wife as Christ loves the church, then that means the wife will submit to the husband as the church submits to Christ. And then overflowing from that is that the children will be submissive and obedient to the parents. Why? Not because, not because well, I'm just the parent because I said so. Why? Because the parent is truly leading well and caring well and loving as God has established the family. So family is to be a first priority in the midst of that. And then Paul asks a rhetorical question in verse 5 to reinforce that. Here's what he says. He says, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? So if a pastor is unable to manage his own family well, then how is he to manage the family of God? So a pastor is to set the example in their home life. And if they set the example in their home life, then that will naturally and should naturally overflow into church life and leading well. Meaning this, how they lead in private must be the same in how they lead in public. So how a pastor leads in private must be the same as how they lead in public. And as a Christian, I would say the exact same thing too. That just as Christians as a whole is that our home life should be identical to our church life. That our life outside of church should match our life inside the church. So I'll ask this for you for us to think about. Does how you act here reflect the same as how you act at home? Do how you act here and how you interact with one another here, is it the exact same as how you interact with your parents and siblings at home? Are you coming here, let's say, singing songs about how you want to, to Christ to lead you in, love, in his love to show to those around you, but then go home and not love your siblings or parents, or then go to your schools and not love your fellow classmate and be welcoming and hospitable to them? That we're, our home life and our church life, if you will, should be identical in the midst of that. that. We should be the same in private as we are in public. So a pastor must exhibit personal dignity. And then this last one, a pastor must exhibit spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity. Okay, now Paul discusses how they need to be mature in the faith if they are to lead God's church. So we see in verse 6, just from the very beginning, he must not be a recent convert. He must not be a recent convert. Or it talks about how the deacon needs to be um, needs to hold the mystery of faith with a clear conscience. So what that means is they need to be rooted in the faith. They need to be rooted in the faith. So it can't just be this person is just freshly saved. We go, all right, now you are going to be the pastor of this church. 
or you are freshly saved. So now we're going to put you as the pastor over, let's say, children or youth or whatever the case may be in that. The person must have a firm understanding of the gospel and is living that out and growing in that and maturing in that. So like, here's an example for us to think of. So right now, this semester, I, I am taking a semester of Greek and learning Greek and just the language behind it and everything with it. Now imagine, let's say I take one semester of Greek and then they turn right around and say, all right, now you're going to become a professor and teach Greek to other people. How well do you think that's going to go? Terrible, because I, <laughs> it would be terrible. Why? Because you wouldn't take someone that's freshly learning this and they go, all right, now you're going to go teach other people this, if that makes sense. Or like imagine, let's say in your, maybe you have a desired field of study. You have a desired occupation that you, a career you want to strive for. Uh, you wouldn't want someone who, let's say, um, is just working on their degree to be the one leading you in that. You might want someone who has graduated, even have a few years in, let's say, that field of study that even if they're just a few steps ahead of you, they can still teach you in that way. To help you grow in the midst of this. So we want to have people that are not just a recent convert. That we want to make sure that they're rooted in the faith and growing in the faith. Now I also don't want you to mean for us to make this uh, seem like, oh, then age automatically equals maturity. Now there are some young people that are very, very mature. And there's some old people that are very, very immature. And vice versa too. Age is not always equal maturity, but it's us growing in our relationship with Christ and showing that. It's the person is rooted in growing in their faith. So I'll ask you this. Are you rooted in the faith? Are you growing in your faith in Christ? Wait for me to ask this. Are you not just hearing the Bible on Sundays and let's say Wednesdays, but then not studying the Bible throughout the week? Or are you taking not only what you hear on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights, but also are you also... Reading your Bible through the rest of the week. And, and I'm not meaning those, let's say, that are in private school or homeschooled or Bible might be a part of that. I mean, like, outside of all of that, are you taking time personally to read God's word and grow in that? Because, again, just like a baby slowly grows up and weans itself off milk and starts to eat more solid food is that we as Christians must slowly grow more in the faith so we no longer just want the milk of just the basic, let's say, fundamentals of the faith, but we want more of the meat of God's word, that we want to understand more of what God's word says. What does this mean? How does this apply to my life? How do I live this out in my daily life? That we're to grow more and more and more in our faith. And in Paul's why recent converts should not be uh, immediately put into the office of, let's say, a pastor. Because he says... In verse, uh, in verse 6, he must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. So what this means, the like condemnation of the devil, is the reason why the devil fell and pulled a third of the angels with him is the devil got prideful. And he thought, I can overtake God. I can be the one. I want to be the main one that's worshipped. And because of that pride, it led to not only his fall, but a third of the angels to fall. Pride is a very dangerous thing. And pride, can you, can you wait till after? Pride, so okay. pride is a dangerous thing and, and we don't treat it. We don't adjust it. It can creep in before we even know and realize that and affect us more than we realize. So another thing we must do is we must have a humble posture. Must have a humble posture. 
Not only pastors, but us as Christians, we must continually humble ourselves before God and realize we can't do anything without him. We need him every single day, every single hour, every single minute, every single second. We couldn't even take our next breath right now without God. That is how much we need him. So we need to have a humble posture of thinking, well, I can do this. I can handle this all on my own. No, we need God for everything or else we'll get prideful. And as soon as you get prideful, that is an open door for Satan to walk in and have us stumble and fall mightily. But then in verse 7, we see this last one, how, how, how pastor, and I believe Christians, should be well thought of by outsiders. And so he says in verse 7, Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So I don't want you to think, oh, this is about a popularity contest. So whoever all the unbelievers think is the best, they should become, let's say, the pastor of the church. What it's meaning is it's more of an evangelistic effort and mindset of the pastor. Because I'll be honest, it's very easy uh, as a pastor to get so caught up in church work and be in the office all the week that we never get out and get known by the community. What I mean by that is that we're loving our neighbors and caring for those around us and serving our community in those ways. Not to be like, oh, look at me, but to point people to Christ. It's an evangelistic effort. And so it's something where, where pastors are not just known uh, by their neighbors, but their neighbors know that they're loved by that pastor, that they reflect the same character to them as they would at church. And so what this means is to be the same inside and outside the church. Is that even if, let's say, the pastor and outsiders have a disagreement on truth or anything else, they at least know at the end of the day, like, that the pastor's loving and caring. Or I would go into further step that us Christians are loving and caring. That we're not just known for all the things we disagree with and condemn. But then all the things that we're for and how, how we are to love them as Christ loves the church. Of course, never, never faltering on the truth, but bring the truth to them in truth and love. So let me ask you this. If we're to be the same inside and outside the church, are you the same at church as you are at school? Will, will you be the same tomorrow as you are tonight? Are you the same among your friends at school as you are the same among your family members here at church? Do your friends know that you are a Christian? People around us should know that we are followers of Christ. By the way we live, by how we treat them, by how we love them, by how we think, talk, and act. How the gospel should just permeate and affect every aspect of our life. And that we're the same both inside and outside the church. And lastly, Paul talks about how a church leader needs to be tested, or at least in, in the deacon, how they should be tested. In verse 10 it says, And let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. So Paul is saying how there should be this test in place for those that desire this office of deacon. And how it's, uh, well, for deacons and pastors. And the desired outcome of this test is success. It's not, it's the desired outcome is that they succeed in this and prove that they are worthy and have these qualifications for this position. That's what they're to do. And so, for example, when I felt called to ministry, I want to make sure that it was not just something I desired, but it was something that truly God was calling me into. So, okay, I was like, I'm going to go talk to the pastors at my church. I'm going to go talk to mature believers at my church, and I'm going to continue to serve more in the church. I'm going to continue to do internships at the church and work through that. 
And as I slowly did that more and more, as more people saw me and interacted with me, got to know me personally, more and more people were able to affirm my calling into ministry, saying, okay, I see this in you. I see you've been tested through this, and I want to give my stamp of approval on this, that yes, I see that. And so lastly, we see that the pastor is to be affirmed by the church, that church leaders to be affirmed by the church, that, that church leaders see this. Church leaders see this, or that church leaders are living out before the congregation for other church members, and church members say, yes, like, I can see that they're living out all of these qualifications, that they're living these things out and desiring this. Their ultimate desire is Christ, that they're gentle, that they have a great home life as well as church life, that they're well-known and well-respected by outsiders, and they say, yes, we affirm that. Now, Here's the thing. This was a lot to go through and a lot of these qualifications to look at. And I would encourage you to go back and read through these again. But we might look at this list and think, okay, this is a little bit much. This is a lot. Like this is a lot for some of these. Some of you might look at these and feel like it's impossible. Like how in the world am I supposed to to live all these out? Or I'm mightily struggling in some of these areas. Honestly, in many ways, we should read a a list like this in 1 through 13 and honestly should overwhelm us and realize we don't measure up to that. Here's why. Because ultimately, it should not only overwhelm us, it should overwhelm us to where it points us to the one who has perfectly lived out all of these. And that's Christ Jesus. That as we look at these qualifications of what it means to be a pastor— And a deacon, that Jesus has perfectly lived out every single one of these. Because what we need to understand about the church is that Christ is the head of the church. He is the head shepherd of the flock. That if we are in Christ, we are a part of the flock of Christ. And he is the head shepherd. And what he does is he entrusts us as pastors, as under shepherds under his leadership, to care for y'all, whom he entrusts us with, and we are responsible for, for overseeing. So we should realize, us as pastors realize, we cannot follow, we cannot follow this example of the great shepherd Jesus without him working in and through us to care for y'all and shepherd y'all well. And then as we look to Christ and follow his example to then be able to shepherd and care for y'all well, that should in turn lead to y'all following our example. Again, not because it's like, oh, because I'm so awesome. No, but polar opposite of that. Because I need Jesus. And I just want to point you to Christ and our desperate need for Christ. And that we follow Christ because Christ is the one that is amazing. And Christ is the one that we desire for all of us to know and all of us to live for. So let me ask you this then. How does your life stack up to this list? When you read this list, how does your life stack up? Does your character reflect Christ in your personal life and your spiritual life? Does your character reflect Christ both in your personal life and in your spiritual life? Are you reflecting Christ at home? Because home life is just, is a, is show, reveals a lot about someone's heart. So are you reflecting Christ at home? Are, are, are you being a parent and loving your siblings and loving your parents well? And lastly, are you both growing in your faith and living out your faith? Are you not only learning and taking all this in, but are you applying it to your lives and living it out and growing in your faith? If we do these things, then we are following the example of Christ and can point other people to him. So let's pray. 
So Lord, we thank you so much. We, we just read this and we are just so thankful that we are totally unworthy and incapable of doing any of these things, but you have perfectly done this. You have perfectly lived all these out. You are the head shepherd. And I just thank you for that. So would you help all of us follow your example? We falter and fall and fail and stumble so many times, even daily. But you are so gracious to us to help us continually pursue you. And you continually pursue us as well. So would you help us by your grace, follow your example, live for you, and then go out into our community and point other people to you as well. That as we live for you, Christ, grow in our relationship with you and live out this faith, it'll help us not only grow more um, as the followers you've called us to be, not only does it help us grow more as the family of God you've called us to be, but it helps us then to go out into community and live out the ultimate mission that you give us, which is to make your name known. So we pray all of this in your holy, precious name. Amen.